Well, morning, church. Hey, uh, before we dismiss our kids, I always, I always feel like, maybe you picked this up, we're kind of like a come-as-you-are church when it comes to the way you dress. However, last week, we had the first list of like, hey, maybe we ought to cool it on this Hawaiian shirt thing. And obviously, I know in your antagonism, I saw some of you who were like, I'll find a Hawaiian shirt to wear just in spite of that. But I, I do want to give you the alternative as the right way to dress. Uh, I saw Heather this morning. Do you want to stand up and show them? Oh, you'll see. You'll see. She's, she's got the blue, navy blue blazer and the gold pants, clearly to celebrate my victory over Western Michigan yesterday. Thank you. I'm sorry the Badgers lost. I was rooting for them, you know, but as long as Michigan wins, the world is good. So, hey, if you are uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, you can head with Katie to children's worship. The rest of us. You can grab your Bible. Uh, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. Uh, if you're grabbing one of those pew Bibles in front of you, that's page 1140 in that Bible. And so go ahead and turn there. Um, while you're getting there, let me give you a couple things, just kind of housekeeping, logistical things, especially as we enter into the fall uh, Labor Day weekend. This is, this is my least favorite holiday weekend, I think, because uh, it means that it's getting colder, uh, summer is over, school is starting again, we're celebrating the curse, uh, which is that we're going to toil and labor and it's going to be awful. So like all of the things about it just really not super great with me. Uh, nonetheless, here we are. It is really wonderful to see all of you uh, and spend some time with you. Love you and excited about that. Uh, as we kind of head into that season, though, uh, we recognize that some things logistically and structurally as a church are, are sort of shifting around. We're kind of getting into some different schedules. And so we do want to dedicate just a little bit of time to talk about what that looks like with you. Uh, two things. Number one, uh, you may remember if you were here last week, I mentioned our nursery, uh, especially as, as we uh, had a meeting on a Wednesday night and said, we want to ramp up what we're doing in the nursery. And we've got all these kids and praise the Lord for that. Uh, and, and we want to be able to take care of them, right, and, and have them enjoy their time in the nursery and have you be able to concentrate. And so we said we need more nursery workers. And then I announced like this past Sunday, like, hey, you responded, and I think we got the nursery workers we needed. And, and just like uh, the CCR song says, right, like the only answer to how many nursery workers you actually need is more, 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 right? And so uh, I, I got told right after that, like, you know what would be nice, more nursery workers, okay? So, so please don't take what I said last week as like, oh, good, they got it and they don't need me. If you're not serving in the nursery and you feel the Holy Spirit going, maybe I should serve in the nursery, sign up, right? You can, you can fill out that card uh, on your bulletin and just drop that in there and say, hey, I'd be willing to jump in the nursery once every couple months and watch some babies or watch some toddlers. Uh, if that's not your thing, that's fine. No, like don't, if you're like, man, I don't even know what to do with these little things. You're like me. I probably shouldn't be in the nursery, just being honest with you, right? That just wouldn't be wise for anybody. Uh, however, if, if that's where you're feeling led, uh, we would love to have you there. We're, I think we're going to add another person in each week to really have the right, uh, so, uh, like, appropriate ratio of teachers to uh, little kids flying around all over the place, right? And so uh, in that, the second thing I want to mention is 
as we continue to grow as a church, one of the ways uh, that we want to just continue to do a better job uh, accommodating and structuring and thinking forward in that uh, is we've, we've like historically just kind of had you let your kids go into the nursery. And when we're done, you let your kids get out of the nursery. Uh, we're going to try to get better and better at signing them in and signing them out. Uh, so if you would, just be patient with us and kind of take that extra step. If you have nursery age kids when you arrive, uh, just head into the nursery. The nursery workers will be there. We'll just check them in. And then when the gathering's over, head over there. We'll check them out. Uh, it's a lot better for security. It's a lot better for uh, really, really what we're doing also is accommodating some guests who want to see uh, with a good deal of confidence, hey, they've got my kids, right? And they know that they're here and they're not just going to let anybody take them uh, or just let them run out into the parking lot on their own, right? Like they're secured in there. And so uh, if we can do that and be an example for that, I think that would be really good and praiseworthy to the Lord. Amen? Good. All right. The second thing, in your bulletins, we have an insert this week uh, with growth communities, all right? It has a list that includes just about every day of the week, maybe it does every day of the week. Uh, it has multiple communities doing some different things throughout the fall. We've kind of now at this point talked again and again and again about the desire to have you in a community of believers outside of just this on Sunday morning where you're studying the scriptures, where you're being accountable and vulnerable with one another, where you're really finding some people that you know well in the context of knowing God's word. And so uh, if you're not yet connected to one of those communities, if you're not sure what community to go to, this is going to hopefully help you and guide you through them. Now, a couple, couple things. Uh, we're going to perspectively add some communities going into the fall. And I wanted to just note those ones especially. So Wednesday night, the hope is that we're going to add an additional community at 6 p.m. Uh, that will include child care. So if you're a young family, you're not yet in a community, uh, you could come Sunday to the community that we host and lead at our house or that Dave and Heather host and lead at their house. Um, or you could jump in on Wednesday into these new communities uh, through the Salverson's house and our house. That would be an opportunity for you to do that, especially if you little kids or if you have teenage kids who are going to be here at the church on Wednesday in the youth community, all right? And so uh, that would be a great option for you. Here's, here's what we kind of would love to know is that you plan on doing that. So if, if you plan on doing that or if you're intrigued by that or you think, I think I should do that, will you just do me a favor and talk to me? After the gathering today, just let me know that so we can kind of figure out what that looks like logistically. Uh, the other one that we're going to add, and this one wouldn't offer childcare, so maybe you're at a different stage in life where you don't have little kids to chase around. You go, you know, I'd really like something where it's a little more calm and, and we can sit and actually study the Bible and we're not like hearing the screams and wondering like who it was that just fell down the stairs, right? Uh, if you want that kind of, I don't even, it'll be years before I'm back to that stage of life, but uh, if you're in there and you want that, uh, Saturday night the Paul Zines are going to start a community at their house. If you don't know Jason and Lori, they're going to raise their hand right now. There they are in the back corner there. Uh, and so again, it's a new community, and so one of the things, if you go, oh, that would be intriguing to me, that'd be good in my schedule, you could do is after the gathering, you find them, you grab them, let them know, hey, I'd be interested in coming to this uh, when it begins in a couple weeks here as well, all right? So outside of that, there's a whole bunch of other ones. If you have any questions about any of them, 
Uh, you can obviously, you can grab myself or Pastor Dave, uh, let us know kind of what you're thinking about it. But uh, we really just, just reaffirm again and again and again, we believe that you being here for an hour once a week, listening to me blab at you is, is not enough for you to be spiritually connected to other believers, for you to be really growing in your faith with other believers as a part of the church. And so we want to see you connected in ways that are deeper and more material to that. Now, if it's outside of these specific communities, that's okay. I mean, we could talk about that and why, why these might make more sense. Uh, but ultimately, we want to provide something that's going to help cultivate that spiritual growth. All right, so as we talk about spiritual growth, we're going to kind of shift into what we're doing in our new series, but I want to pray with you first, and then we'll spend some time worshiping in the Word of God together. Father, we are grateful. I'm overjoyed this morning to be gathered together with brothers and sisters in Christ, your people, here knowing among our faults and our flaws and our shortcomings that we're a people who don't have it all together. We're people that are here in our brokenness, in our failure, worshiping the one who paid for it all, worshiping the one who took that away, worshiping the one who made us righteous. And so I pray that uh, that gratitude would shine through as we study your word, as we look at the truth of the, the shortcoming of man and the glory of you, that it would be compelling to us and it would continue to encourage us as we go forth in all of our life. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, um, we're going to begin, let me kind of give you a map into the fall, uh, a new series today, uh, working through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians as it's known uh, in the Bible. Now you can debate whether or not he wrote a letter before that, which, which I think he probably did. It's not included in the scriptures. But uh, what we know in the scriptures is 1 Corinthians uh, will now spend the next several weeks walking through passage by passage, piece by piece, uh, taking some things out of this for the sake of us as a church, reading, studying, expositing the scriptures together. Uh, and we'll probably be here all the way up until December, until we get into kind of the Advent season, we look at some stuff going into Christmas. Um, I want to just kind of reiterate, almost every time we start a new series, we're, we're sort of continuing to re-emphasize this point of why we do this. We, we really practice the vast majority of our time a process in studying the scriptures that we call expository preaching. What that means is that typically what we're doing is we're not picking out what we talk about on each weekend based on some topic that is important to me or important to us, but rather that we're choosing how we would approach the teaching of God's Word based on what the Scripture would lead us to say. And so, so the way that works itself out in practice is the vast majority of the time, we're just choosing a book of the Bible or a segment of the Bible and we're going let's just read this and explain what it means and we'll draw some applications out of that. Now, now here's the, the primary reason that we find that as so valuable. Um, I have things that I love to talk about. Okay? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. More than, even more important things than Michigan football and Hawaiian shirts, right? Like, I, I have, even in the spiritual context, right, I have some things that I'm, I'm a nerd by nature, and so especially you get into some of those academic things, or you get into some of those really, like, deep thinking things, and I just, I would spend hours just kind of focused on a few different things, and those would be sort of the sweet spot for me, and likewise, I have some things that I really want to avoid talking about at every opportunity if I can somehow shift or change the subject away from that, right? And, and here's what I know. So do you, right? The thing that makes the church so beautiful and diverse is they're not the same things, right? Some of the things that you love to talk about, I hate to talk about. Some of the things that I love to talk about, you can't even stay awake for. And so out of that, uh, if we were to build our series just based on topics, what would have a tendency to be the case is we would just kind of rest in topics that I really liked. Or I would try to overcome that by uh, placing an undue emphasis on topics that I really hated, thinking, well, uh, you know, I'm just going to really prove a point by doing this. Either way, I don't think we rest inside of the holiness and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in trusting that God is ultimately the one that's going to teach us according to his word in the context of his church. And so what it does when we just pick books of the Bible and go, hey, we're going to teach through this, is it forces us as a church body, as a whole, to consider the whole counsel of the scriptures and to let that dictate or guide what we talk about in any given week. And so ultimately what we're going to talk about in the upcoming Sundays is just whatever the book of 1 Corinthians has to say and then pull that 2,000 years later and go, okay, what, what does that mean for us. Now, the thing that's so wonderful about that in 1 Corinthians is it is a church that has everything you can imagine going on, and almost all of it is addressed by the Apostle Paul over the course of 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians. And so he's just going to bounce from issue to issue to issue to issue. And so each week we're going to have this opportunity to kind of look at some things that Paul might have to say about this particular thing or this particular thing or this particular thing. And if, if we're just being honest, a lot of them are going to be massively uncomfortable for all of us. Amen? That's one of those things that I like is making you uncomfortable. So we're going to deal with that. Uh, Today, the hope is uh, that we would just begin the letter, take a couple verses into it, and, th and then I want to spend the bulk of our time just providing you a background and a context uh, of what Corinth is and was as a city so that we might lay a good foundation of the things that we're going to see come up over and over again and ultimately where I think Paul and, and where the Holy Spirit is guiding us as we consider his word in this way. So you got your Bible open. We're going 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read to you the first nine verses and then we're going to kind of back up and give you some context around that. But you need to see how it begins first. Chapter 1 verse 1. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he gets a little more personal. He says, 
I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then focus in, I wanna, we're going to pause and then we're going to go back to this verse at the end. But look what he says in verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's Paul beginning his uh, letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, much like the rest of the New Testament letters that Paul writes, he begins with this kind of lengthy and weighty introduction, not only telling who he is, but also beginning the foundations of what he wants to emphasize before he deals with the practical things that are going on. So, so let's back up a little bit, kind of help you with the city of Corinth and how this comes to be. So Corinth is a massively important city in the first century. Uh, in fact, I think we got a map there uh, of Corinth. Where it is located uh, in the ancient world is very strategic. So you can see it. I got my laser pointer today, so no cats here, it's okay. Uh, you can see that from Italy and Rome, right, in the Adriatic, Ionian, and Mediterranean Sea, uh, over to Asia, or what was known as Asia then, and Crete, and all of that side, Athens and stuff, uh, is a relatively good-sized peninsula, and in particular, this passage here was quite dangerous. Travel by sea in the ancient times, if you wanted to move goods, you wanted to have commerce, it was all done through seafaring ships, and down in this southern end of this peninsula in the Mediterranean uh, was a heavy amount of turbulent weather and shipwreck. If you remember, uh, Paul himself at one point is going to be shipwrecked in that very area. Uh, out of this, what had come to be was the city of Corinth resting in that uh, small isthmus there uh, had a passage of land that was only some 30, 40 miles that would cut off that entire lower peninsula loop. And so what would happen in ancient times is those sailing ships from Italy over to Asia would actually pass through that small passage there in the sea, land in Corinth, and then they would offload the ships and roll the ships 20 miles to the other side, unload the ships again, and sail across so that they could skip that entire peninsula. It was quite fast, it was better, it was more efficient, and it was by far a safer route. Now, because of that, it made Corinth one of the most valuable cities in all of the ancient world. Because ultimately, it was the port city of all port cities. The, the major trade routes 
of the world in that day were passing through Corinth, which meant that it was uh, quickly a growing metropolis in the Roman Empire. It meant that people from all different cultures and backgrounds and places were arriving in Corinth, uh, and it provided an opportunity for people to sort of come together in one place, uh, get some rest, especially you think not only are people arriving there, but they're arriving there after a long seafaring journey. Uh, And so out of this, not only was it bringing a whole bunch of people together, um, but if you start to kind of put the pieces together and consider what that would make it like, you begin to find some of the major issues that are happening in the city of Corinth. So it's, it's multicultural because you have people from all different backgrounds coming together, uh, and so they're all kind of sharing thoughts and ideas. Uh, it's also filled with a whole bunch of primarily men who are sailing, traveling, landing in Corinth, who have been in a single boat with a whole bunch of other men for a long period of time, and so, so if you get what I'm saying here, Corinth had a bit of a problem with immorality. And that's, that's putting it as lightly as we could possibly put it. In fact, I just, I'm not going to rest it there. So it's just, just what it is. Um, the, the city of Corinth, at its centerpiece, had a granite mound in Acrocorinth where they would come together on the top of a mountain plateau and they would worship. In this place was idols to the goddess Aphrodite. But you know what the goddess Aphrodite is? Goddess of love. And, and so together, what the city of Corinth, above all things, worshipped was love, and in particular, the eros, or the physical, erotic expression of love as a city. And so uh, from this, the temple there was filled with temple prostitutes who would frequently, in the evenings then, travel down into the city to take care of the seafarers who had landed in this town. And so, so a city filled with immorality, a city filled with prostitution, a city filled with all kinds of sexual problems, at, uh, kind of the wholeness of this cultural revolution coming together there. Uh, so you picture it kind of like today's uh, Vegas or um, like many kind of seedy truck stops or whatever you want to do. But, but in this, it is the place where all kinds of sin under the sun have come together all at once for the sake of worldly pleasure. And then, here's, here's what happens. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians. Go with me to Acts chapter 18. Page 1111, if you got the Pew Bible with you, Acts 18, Paul shows up. In fact, uh, Paul has just come out of the city of Athens, so again, you can see that on the map. He travels to Corinth next, and he arrives and does what he does in uh, just about every circumstance of his missionary journeys. He goes and finds the synagogue where the Jews in Corinth reside. Starts in Acts 18, verse 1, and it says, After these things, he left Athens, and he went to Corinth. Now, he found a Jew there named Aquila, a native of Pontius, and having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so he came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working for, by trade, they were tent makers. So Paul goes, finds a couple, hangs out there, they begin to make tents together, kind of providing an income, so that he would 
resonating, or he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul shows up in Corinth, he begins to work, making tents, and then every time he gets a chance, he goes to the Sabbath, in the, on the Sabbath to the synagogue, and he begins to preach, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now this is very typical of what Paul had done in every city of his missionary journeys. And so there he is doing this, and again, fairly typical of what happens in Paul's missionary journeys. It says, when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And so Paul and Silas show up, uh, or Timothy and Silas show up. It gives Paul a little bit of extra time. He doesn't have to work making tents. So he can really take his energy and his time to be more proactive, proclaiming Jesus, especially, it says, to the Jews who are there. And it says, they resist, and they blaspheme, and they shook out their... So he shook out the garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, for I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And then he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Hustus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And, and I want you to see this next part. And, and the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, don't be afraid any longer, but, I go, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I'm with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So, uh, if you know a little bit about the book of Acts, uh, in the chapters previous, Paul, as he's continued on in these missionary journeys, has had quite a bit of trouble just like the way things unfold here. He preaches the gospel. He begins primarily with Jews. He moves to the Gentiles. And what has happened now patternistically is the Jews who reject Jesus did so zealously enough that they attack him and try to kill him and he has to leave said city and move on. This is, again, a repeated pattern of Paul's missionary journeys. However, here in Corinth, as the same thing is unfolding, the Lord says specifically to Paul, I have many people here. You stay here. You will not be attacked. And Paul spends 18 months teaching, preaching, proclaiming the word of God there. Now, why is that so important? Well, because I think as we read the letter of First uh, Corinthians, you're, you're going to find is that among all of the things written in the New Testament, Paul is particularly harsh in his uh, rebuke and correction of the church in Corinth. And so I want you to remember along the way the background that Paul spent a year and a half with them. It's longer than he spends in almost any other church he plants and in this has devoted time, energy, attention, and is loving well these people. He has a particular affection for them. It's why he says he thanks the Lord always concerning them and the grace of God in them. Now, so not only that, but as Paul is writing this, uh, you're going to see that coming out of it, after this 18 months, as Paul has left and now is writing based on the things he's heard, he's going to come about, this is if we could just sum summarize 1 Corinthians in a nutshell, he's going to just begin with a laundry list of problems that the church has. Now, here's, here's what I want you to 
to keep in mind. Because essentially, what the next several weeks will be is us kind of looking at an item on the list and going, what, is, what does he have to say about this particular issue that they're falling short in? What does he have to say about this particular issue that they're falling short in? What does he have to say about this particular issue that they're falling short in? And at some point in the series, if you're consistent enough, you're going to get to a whole bunch of weeks where you just begin to think, holy cow, did they do anything right? This place is a mess. In fact, um, I have uh, 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 some buddies that work at a church. I saw recently they did a series in 1 Corinthians, and that was the title of the series. Was, what a mess. Looked like everything was wrong there. In fact, among the laundry list of problems, right? Let's, I just want to list out a couple of them. One, here's, here's the thing that you're going to see over and over and over again play itself out. The culture around them was very alluring. It, it was drawing them in. It was deceptive. And the, the church had a hard time distinguishing itself from it. Now, the, the church is filled with both Jews and Gentiles, people from all different backgrounds, and people who primarily were out of these paganized forms of worship that were deceiving and pulling them back in. And so they have this kind of ability to waffle in between one foot in the world and one foot in the church, one foot in the world and one foot into the church. And issue after issue after issue is going to show up with Paul teaching about how they might interact with a world that walks far away from Christ and a church that's meant to look distinguished in it yet not to isolate from it. And so they have a lot of tension in this and they're frequently falling short of the way that they ought to portray that. Now, let's just be honest for a minute. 2,000 years later, that sound a little familiar? Sound a little familiar, right? Because uh, typically, in fact, the application today, I think if we were to look at American churches, we would say that is identical to what we might see, is that we live in a culture that is growingly deceptive, growingly combative towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, even is filled with allure and sin that has become uh, more and more convincing for many Christians to find themselves partaking in. And typically, the the war of the church has been fought in foolish ways. It either finds themselves sort of partaking in such liberty and going, well, as long as you believe in Jesus, you just do whatever you want and you can walk in the ways of this world and we have the liberty in Christ to do this. And Paul's going to reject that idea. We'll see it in a few weeks. Or you find yourself on the other end of the spectrum, which is a very legalistic or even isolationist approach to say the world and all its evil should be rejected in full. Stay out of it. Don't talk to them. Don't deal with them. Don't be a part of them. You work over here in your own little holy huddle and you don't get into that. And Paul's going to say, hey, I didn't tell you to do that. I wasn't telling you not to associate with the immoral people of the world. If you did that, you'd have to leave the world. How are you going to evangelize to them then? Right? And so, so out of this, I think you see the problem here in Corinth, the culture around them as alluring, deceptive, and sinful, and them not really sure how they ought to be interacting with it as the same problem we have 2,000 years later. Number two, um, the church itself was wildly divided because they had valued things more than Christ. And and so we're going to just see this show up again and again and again. 
They had valued different teachers or preachers. And so uh, we're going to see in the next couple weeks that Paul is the one who kind of plants this church, starts it, spends a year and a half there, has these really beautiful relationships with people. Um, but realistically, Paul, Paul's like really boring as a preacher. He, I'm not, that's not my idea. He says that himself. He says, I'm mighty in word, but I'm not in speech. So in other words, I, hey, I can write these really powerful letters by the insp- inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I show up and you're like, man, who is this guy, right? In fact, at one point, Paul's preaching uh, and he's so boring that a guy falls asleep, falls out a window and dies. You remember that account? I, I try to remember that a lot. Anytime I see you falling asleep, and think, well, could be worse, right? Uh, in this, what happens is he leaves, the guy that shows up after him is Apollos. Now, now, Apollos has quite the opposite problem. In fact, the, the Bible describes him as somebody who, who doesn't really understand the way of Jesus accurately. His theology is a little bit shaky, but he's, he's powerful in his speech. He refutes well the things that are going on, teaches the power of God well. And so uh, right away you have this kind of division within the church about, like, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, and then you got some people that are going, you know, like I'm a high church person, I follow Cephas, I follow Peter and the church in Jerusalem, and then some really uh, kind of arrogant people who are going, well, I follow Jesus, you can do what you want, right? I just follow Christ. And so then out of this he goes, oh man, you're divided about this, and then you're divided about money, and you're divided about uh, backgrounds, right? We're going to see later on in the scriptures. In fact, even as we close this morning in the Lord's Supper, it's in the context of him writing to the church in Jerusalem and going, you're, you're divided over socioeconomic status. You're divided over who's a Jew and who's a Gentile. You value things more than Christ. And let, let me help you with this. 2,000 years later, I think you look at the church in the state that it is today, and you find churches who are divided over a whole litany of things that exceed and supersede the value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? You you see churches that are divided politically. You see churches that are divided socially. You see churches that are divided racially. You even see churches that are divided based on style and how people dress or what kind of music we sing or what kind of chairs we sit in. You see division everywhere. And so 2,000 years and halfway around the world and not a lot changes. And, the, and then the third thing that I think you see is, is over and over and over again, you're finding Corinth that they valued the spiritual gifting of God more than the spiritual fruit of God. And, and so uh, you even see Paul allude to this in the very opening verses that he thanks God by his grace that he has gifted this church in such a way. It was a church of people who were remarkably gifted and talented in the way that the Lord was going to use them. They've got, we'll get to this later on, they got all these issues with sign gifts and what they're doing with tongues and prophecies and all of this stuff. And, and then in this, what Paul's going to remind them over and over again is they've fallen victim to this idea that thinking the way that the Holy Spirit would gift them supersedes the fruit that the Holy Spirit would produce in them. And here we are 2,000 years later as a culture that has bought into this cancer that the charisma of people, the talent of people, the gifting of people would supersede the character of people in the church and in every part of our society and culture. That's why you have celebrity culture, amen? And so here's, here's what I want to kind of impress with you as we close today. I'm so 
eager as we work through this series to preach it differently than, than if you've grown up in churches and you've read 1 Corinthians, there's a good chance that you've, you've heard this sort of mantra out of it that, that goes like this. Well, if you think you're bad, wait till you read about the church in Corinth. Come on, you been there? You grown up in church a long time? You go, oh man, you think the church is bad now. You should see what happens there. And, and here's, here's my encouragement over the upcoming weeks. And this is why I think this is so valuable. Uh, this is us. This is us. And, and here's the beauty of this. Paul, as raw and honest and frank, and straightforward as anywhere in the Scripture is going to go, you're a mess. But you know what? God is faithful. God is faithful. We're a mess. Truth is, you're going to see issue after issue after issue. And, and in our pride, in our arrogance, I think there's going to be a lot of times where we read it and we go, man, that is way worse than what I see in my own life. And I'm, I'm just telling you to get away from that arrogance. Get away from that pride. Get away from that thought and just recognize that you take these and you extrapolate them 2,000 years later. And I think you just see a lot of us broken, un holy, not sanctified as we should, not living the way we ought to, day by day, kind of struggling and toiling with what it looks like to live this Christian life, all the while desiring to see happen in us what Paul is going to encourage again and again to the church in Corinth, that God is faithful, and in this, you and I were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's, here's essentially what Paul's going to say over and over and over again in the, the letter to 1 Corinthians, the church there that he's going to encourage them. is Listen, your salvation, your salvation is on the faithfulness of God. It's not you figuring all these things out. It's not you getting better at all these things. It's not you doing all these things right because you're never going to do them right. But you better recognize that in God's faithfulness, he has called us. He's called us into fellowship with His Son. And you continue to walk away from that, and it's just going to lead to more brokenness. You continue to walk away from that, and it's just going to lead to more pain. You continue to walk away from that, and it's just going to lead to misery and death. It won't lead to fellowship with Christ. And so you move away from these sinful things. You move away from these worldly things and you continue to walk in the fellowship in which you have been called to, which is found only in Jesus Christ. And so uh, I want to pray for us that we would be a people who learn to walk in that fellowship. That we would recognize our position in Christ is ultimately the fellowship with his son. And then from there, we're going to uh, remember that fellowship through the Lord's Supper. And so our, our young people are going to come in and join us for that. We're going to pray, and then uh, some of our men are going to come up and assist us as we 
close today taking the Lord's Supper. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you are faithful. That, that when our faithfulness has a tendency to wax and wane, when our engagement has a tendency to fall short, when we aren't what we ought to be, that we trust the gospel, that it's your power, that you are faithful. And out of that, Lord, I pray as we remember the centerpiece of the gospel, your, your death on a cross, your broken body, your shed blood for all of this sin, for all of this shortcoming, for all of these problems in our lives, in our churches, in our people who know you, that we are bought with a price. And, and so in it, I pray that you would draw us, help us glorify you in our body. Help us be a people who would understand and walk closer in our calling, the calling of fellowship in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lead us in that, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper this morning and as we go forth. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I'm going to ask uh, some of our elders to come.